another episode of Only the Penitent. I am your host, Kenneth. Today's episode, God Doesn't Need Your Love. <laughs> Master John Fellis will be with us in a moment. As always, you can reach us at www.onlythepenitent.com. We're working on a new email. Uh, you can still reach us at onlythepenitent at icloud.com. But we are attempting to create an offshore email as we see more and more Christian uh, ministries, Christian sites, Christian churches are being deleted by big tech. So we're attempting to move our website and our email offshore uh, to protect us for anything that could possibly occur in the future. Today's episode, God Doesn't Need Your Love. So uh, here we are back again, Master John. Here we are. All right. Today's episode, we are discussing uh, the Council of Nicaea and the concept of councils in general. Now, for our, our listeners who don't aren't really familiar with Christian councils, um, give let's give us just a, a short primer on what a Christian council is, John. Well. A Christian council is usually called when there's some sort of crisis in the church, usually revolving around a particular heresy, right? Um, so we see in the book of Acts, um, Paul's having this problem with uh, what we could call Judaizing, right? Um, basically, you know, something has changed the way, you know, the people of God are supposed to live after Christ, right? In particular, there's certain works of the law that we no longer need to follow, right? Um, you know, and I guess the most, uh, you know, important one here is circumcision, right? So the question would be something like, well, do Gentile converts to Christianity have to get circumcised? And Paul's answer is emphatically no, right? But for a lot of people are having a hard time with this and they're actively going around the world teaching against Paul. Like, no, if you want to be... You know, if you want to be a part of the people of God, you have to get circumcised. So we see that happening. So all the apostles meet together with Paul and they have a council or an assembly, right? Basically, what we would say is it's like a really special meeting, right? Where they discuss this issue and with the authority that God has given them, they come to some sort of determination, right? See, right. We're talking about Acts chapter 21. Uh, specifically verse 17, it says uh, the, the the writer is Luke, who was Paul's uh, uh, assistant in his travels. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And, and Luke writes, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And and so that's what John is saying. We have we have James, who's who's more or less the 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 head bishop of Jerusalem, uh, head pastor, whatever word you want to use. And Paul is there, one of the preeminent apostles, and all of the elders come and they sit down and they're going to have a discussion. What do we do about the Christians who are saying 
uh, the men who become Christians who have to be circumcised, and which is what they did in the Old Testament under the, the law of Moses. And the outcome was what John said, right? No. Yeah, no, you don't have to get circumcised. Um, and they, they do sort of prohibit certain things like um, you're not supposed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Well, why is that? Because there's a problem of idolatry there, right? So idolatry is still forbidden because it's part of the moral, immutable law of God, right? Where, but these other things, right, this, um, some like circumcision is not, it's not an eternal law, right? It's something that God instituted for a particular people over a period of a particular time. Right. And we no longer have to do that. So a lot of people listening maybe are circumcised, but that was, they say what, for hygienics or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. It wasn't yeah. a, it wasn't a religious, it's not a religious thing. Well, maybe it is for some people, you know, um, like the Bill Gates out there in the world. Right. But uh, <laughs> I'm just making a little, little joke. Um so then, then we fast we fast forward. We're gonna we're gonna skip <laughs> quite a few years of church history, three hundred years actually. We're gonna go to the year three eighteen, and Christianity is experiencing um, more or less a, a great reformation or a great revival, whatever word you want to you want to use, because um, there had been a massive persecution, one of the longest. Uh, persecutions against the church, and it was followed uh, eventually by Constantine, the the king of Rome, more more or less. He becomes the ultimate ruler of all of Rome, and Constantine converts to Christianity, and now Christianity is growing in leaps and bounds because the leader of Rome is a Christian. Uh, but uh, problems arise, and those problems are what, John? Well, there's this um, there's this guy in in Egypt named Arius who doesn't quite believe what the church had been teaching for 300 years, right? Which was that Jesus Christ is true God, right? That He's begotten of the Father from all eternity, right? So this is one of the great mysteries of the Christian religion is that he's begotten from the father. He's a different person than the father, but they're both fully God, right? So they have the same, well, we would say essence or nature, right? And they're, they're the very core of their being. They are the same thing, but they're two different people, right? And he was teaching against this and saying, no, Jesus had to be created in some time, right? So Jesus becomes a sort of, super angel right or he's the greatest creature i mean but um and i in fact really what arius is saying is jesus becomes sort of like zeus or apollo or something right he's the greatest of all beings besides god right the greatest all creative beings right so um who is it alexander who is the bishop of alexandria um knows that this is um a terrible heresy (laughs) And he uh, excommunicates Arius. And this causes this huge... And then Arius, he goes down to Palestine, and he's teaching, and he's winning lots of converts. And there's it's causing huge problems, right? So Constantine, who had just you know settled all these imperial wars, now he has this huge religious problem, right? And he wants to... And he's talking to all the Christian bishops in Rome um, and trying to figure out 
you know, in Italy, Rome, some of the other bishops trying to figure out like, well, how can we solve this problem? Right. And what they decide to do is call a council, which famously is known as the Council of Nicaea. Right. So there's a little, another little summary. And, and the, the council, so very succinctly and well put, the council, John, good job. The council of Nicaea comes into existence because another heresy is being preached. So when certain members of the visible church adopt false beliefs, the response of the Christians is to assemble together and say, okay, let's talk about this. Merit in what this other, what Arius is saying is there is there any merit in what the Judaizers were saying in the Book of Acts in the time of Peter and John and Paul, uh, and then the, the church through the the Holy Spirit working in them as as representatives from all the churches are present, the Holy Spirit leads them to refute Arius. The Holy Spirit led them to refute the Judaizers who were saying everyone had to be circumcised. Um, we have seen a plethora of uh, false teachings for the last 2,000 years, and there's been many councils. <laughs> um, the Council of Nicaea is of a special note because of the creed that came from it, uh, which, which uh, Protestant, Catholic, uh, Orthodox churches all recite generally they, historically they would recite them every every worship service um, and that that creed while it's not found in the Bible it encompasses the theology of the Bible that all true believers adhere to right now there's a lot of Protestants that Maybe they go to a non-denominational church. They've never even heard the council, the, the Nicene Creed. Um, but their little non-denominational church or parish wouldn't exist in all likelihood if not for the Nicene Creed, which you and I, John, we we recite each week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, even if you don't have the creed, you were probably, you know, the, you know, the evangelical pastor, right. Who doesn't have the creed at his church. Right. Um, he, if you went to a good seminary where they're not teaching heresy, which unfortunately it seems like more than not, they are. But if he went to a, an Orthodox seminary, he was taught the contents of the creed. Right. And so when he read the Bible, you know, when he sits down to read the Bible, he's he's being sort of guided by the spirit right so that's how influential this is where even if you're not a even if you don't confess this creed you probably are if you still have the spirit of god right um right otherwise you're just you know you're kind of uh you're kind of too far gone you need to come back or something right so maybe that's why we wanted to do these episodes and talk through the creed because there may be people that basically believe in what Arius taught and they don't even know it. And if they heard the truth, they might, uh, you know, re- repent of their error. So, hopefully. so, so the, the creed, the Nicene creed um, starts out, we believe in one God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible. 
and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God of God, light from light, true God from true God. So that, that the first two paragraphs there encompass the Arian heresy. They're saying, it's saying Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, and he's begotten from the Father before all ages, uh, God of God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, which comes straight out of the book of John, right? In the beginning was the word or the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Yeah, right. And, and through him, all things were made, right? Um, so that's to say he is not made. He's actually the he, the logos, Jesus <laughs> is the maker of all things, right? So John's already trying to set up this uh, distinction that sort of gets codified in the creed there, right? Um, Christ is the maker. He's not something made, right? So, so for us, councils are a big deal because we believe in authority. Um, so when Constantine declares there's going to be a council and he calls all the bishops from all the lands to come... To, to the Council of Nicaea, uh, we would recognize the authority of those men that were coming. They were the heads of their churches, the heads of the regions, the bishops and, and, and ministers and elders that came. Uh, not everyone recognizes authority. Uh, I think that's kind of a little bit of our American spirit where we think, oh, we don't need bishops, we don't need pastors, we don't need leaders over us. It's, it can just be us and God. I, I've seen this a lot um, with, uh, with evangelicals, non-denominational people that resist authority. They don't like authority. I've likewise seen it with, with uh, Roman Catholics. Uh, a good example is the present Pope, who seems to be rejecting the very dogmas of the Catholic Church. <laughs> He's saying, I'm not under the authority of, of, of the dogmas of the Catholic Church. Neither does the Pope seem to think he's under the authority of the word of god so i've seen well, it in both both sides yeah right so that's the sort of so if you're reared in a in a higher you know a traditional church atmosphere the one error seems uh you know the one error it seems you know pretty easily to recognize it's like oh that guy's sort of doing his own thing well where is that in the bible right i mean did god really i mean are you are you elijah to be out in the wilderness by yourself, you know, I like, I highly doubt it. And then the other error. Yeah. I heard, I heard someone say this recently, there was a, you know, something called ultramontanism, right? This was uh, some of the French believe this, right? It means beyond the mountains, right? So it basically gave the Pope so much authority that yes, the Pope stands above all church tradition, all church uh, teaching, Right. Which is manifestly absurd. So here we go again. We have this leftist pope. Right. Who's saying, oh, no, I believe in equality and freedom and liberty for all. But then he's actually exerting himself as this authority, you know, beyond imagining. Right. So it, it sort of goes both ways. Right. And like the Bible says, you know, turn not to the left hand or to the right hand. Right. And so that's why, like, walk the straight and narrow path. Right. And that's what we're, you know, when we think of it, authority, we have to do. Right. Um so God can give him an authority, but on the other hand, um, 
God, God doesn't make man such an authority that he's a substitute for God, right? And God's word and God's, you know, truth, you know? So one of the important uh, outcomes of the Council of Nicaea in what was, what I, you know, I said the date before, I think it was 311. Forgive me if I got the date wrong. Um, was that uh, of the 300 or so bishops that, that showed up, uh, is that it, it, it provided Christians a, a specific um, profession uh, that allowed them to define uh, who Jesus was in relation to God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. It, it gave us something to confess, right? And why is confession a big deal? From We see in the, in the New Testament, uh, the words of Scripture says, if we confess with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, that that is that is that putting ourselves under the authority of God, putting putting ourselves under the authority of, of anyone generally involved confession, right? That's what uh, the early Christians uh, were subject to the to the Romans who attempted to get them to confess that Caesar was God with their lips, right? That's all that that's all that they had to do, and they wouldn't get thrown into the Colosseum. Just confess that Caesar is God with your lips. Uh, and so confession is a big deal. Yet, yeah. yet, yet I don't know how many uh, evangelicals, non-denominational law people, I'm not sure how many people in that those categories realize how important it is to confess what we believe regularly. Yeah, and it's also about what are you confessing? Right. So, well, okay. So who is this Jesus we're confessing? Well, Arius, Arian, you know, the Arian Jesus, I don't know. I, I don't know that Jesus, like that's not the Jesus that was taught to me. Right. That's something else. Right. That's almost like, um, like a Zeusified Jesus. Right. Um, so when we confess, um, that's also very important that we actually know what we're talking about at least the fundamentals of what we're talking about so we can agree on it and we can confess it truly and rightly um so this is you know one of the problems that holding this creed and us all agreeing on it and also agreeing on what the creed means um is so important because otherwise we have this insoluble disunity Right, where the Bible in every place tells us, no, we have to be unified. We have to be together with one voice and one heart and one mind. And this the, is so. This is the starting place to form that one one mind. So, the other element of while it was important that at, at the Council of Nicaea that they nail down clearly uh, the nature of Jesus, who Jesus is, his origin, you know. It was also important for that, the bishops at Nicaea to nail down the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Um, in one of the modern heresies we've dealt with, with uh, there's the, there's some splinter groups of Protestantism, the the Muslims who aren't Christians, but they believe this too. They they believe that that 
in a, in a radical monotheism that there's only one God and there's only one nature to God. Now, why is that a problem? Because the Bible teaches there's only one God, but that there's three natures, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Why is that a big deal from the, the importance of that is, is, is without the biblical teaching that comes from King David and the new Testament that, God is one, but is in is three natures, is that is that therefore before God created all things, he didn't create all things out of need. He didn't in, in other words, if if there was only one God and, and only one nature, well, how would that God know what love is? There's no right. one to, there's nowhere to love him. There's no one to love him. But because God is one, but if, but he has three natures. He experiences perfect love, perfect fellowship, perfect community within the Trinity. He doesn't have to create people to love him in order to experience what love is. I'm getting a little philosophical here. No, I think that's right. Uh, you mean nature or person? Because that's per- person. Excuse me, person. Yeah, I apologize. Per- person. Yeah, person. Or well, when we talk about these things, there's all these different words that are highly philosophical, and they actually come from the Greek, right? So we'd have to know a little Greek, and so um, I just mean so we can agree on terms, right? So Absolutely. Person, well, Absolutely. People also translate that substance, right? So there's three substances in one essence right so um and when you think of substance you kind of think of nature too right so like so so using the word nature um that may be closer to what we kind of mean because we think of nature as the sort of uh the thing that's on top of the essence or something right um sure so i mean uh so yeah when we're talking about these things like you're saying like yeah it's very philosophical it's like this is sort of the highest Christian mystery, right? Um, and so some people would say it's very complicated, but it's also very simple, right? Um, and I think people do have a lot of problems with this because we've been trained to think in a very unphilosophical way, in, right? in, a, in a materialistic sense. Meaning we've been we've been trained in the Western world to only view the world and what we can see with our eyes. But this right, this right. point. The point that God doesn't need humans to love him is as important as Jesus was there in the beginning before all things were created. Both of those issues were dealt with in Nicaea, and it was absolutely vital because if we believed in a God that needed humans to love him, we would be believing in an imperfect God. But instead, instead, the Logos is perfect. The Logos is entirely without without any gray area it's, it's complete in, in 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 his perfection that's an important distinction because muslims they can't understand that they their god is is a very limited god he can't be the creator of all things well right and so this um god is a monism we would say so monism mono just meaning one right? An ism idea, right? So just having this idea of one thing, um, humans can sort of get to that, right? Um, now, that having this, this Christian notion of Trinity of, you know, three substances in one essence or in one thing, right? Um, 
you know, we readily admit this is sort of a mystery, but it's, I think God reveals himself to us and he truly is. And he wants us to meditate and contemplate and think on what all this means to actually draw him closer and like draw him into, like you were saying, this Trinitarian love, this essential love, right? Because, you know, St. John, he says, God is love. Like, well, like a single, like, this is what I think you were getting at, a single monism, a single thing can't be love itself. Maybe it could create and love something else, but it can embody the essence of love, right? So almost all people, and especially the heretics of the modern era, want to talk about this, that God is love. Well, then we have to say that God is Trinity, right? God has multiplicity in him, right? The the Pharisees and Sadducees in the time of Jesus, they come along to Jesus, and, and it seems as though they sort of have a little bit of an inkling of what Jesus is implying. Right. It seems like they're, they're starting to think, wait a minute, does this guy think he's one with God? And they try to trip him up and they say, wait, you know, wait, isn't isn't there just one God? And and Jesus knows what they're what they're doing. And he, he quotes David and in, in the Psalms where David quotes, uh, David says, the Lord says to my Lord and Jesus throws it in the Pharisees face and he says, well, well, how is it that God is talking to God? How is the Lord talking to the Lord? And the Pharisees don't know how to answer that. Uh, but David, inspired of the Holy Spirit, he, in his psalm, uh, expresses an element of the Trinity. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and it's there It's there in the very first chapter of Genesis. It says, let us create man in our own image. That's right. right? That's right. So some some people want to reinterpret that now and say, oh, that's just like the royal we. You know, like a king, he would say, well, we agree with what you say, even though he's really talking in the first person. The Christians traditionally, we've interpreted that as saying, no, like the Trinity is there on the very first page of the Bible. Right. Um, so it's it sounds it, it sounds a little bit harsh, uh, but this is a true statement. God doesn't need your love. <laughs> he really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need anything. Right. Well, another you know another uh, traditional dogma that Christians always believed is he created everything out of nothing. Right. Now, what is nothing? It's nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. Right. There's not some sort of primordial ooze or matter that god sort of comes along and shapes i believe i believe i believe it was schaefer that that coined the phrase nothing is what rocks dream about (laughs) yeah right um yeah and so there you go like if you contemplate that for a little bit right well what do rocks dream about you know it's like absolutely nothing right um so yeah so and when you when you start to understand that, uh, you know, doctrine that the Christians had always believed, then you're like, you start to see how powerful God is. Right. And then it helps you realize like, Oh, like God is God. The father is so powerful that from all eternity, his very spoken word is another person. His very being is spirit. Right. And the spirit is another person. Like this is how, powerful and completely beyond everything god is right um and we're all very blessed that god has shown us these things because relative to god 
humans are extremely stupid, right? Um, we've we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of that in 2020. Instances of how stupid humans really are. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, scripture says in numerous you know places that we're actually pretty dumb, right? And so modern men, they're so offended by that. It's like we went to the moon. What do you mean we're dumb, right? Well, think about think about God as uh, Kenny and I have been describing him, right? Um, that being is wisdom itself, right? Is knowledge itself, is being itself, right? Um, so we should be very humble and realize no matter what we achieve with our minds, right? With our bodies, it's sort of like nothing, you know? It's uh, like Solomon says, well, it's wind, right? It's air, it's hot air, right? Just sort of blowing away, Um the the one I, I've been Presbyterian or Reformed uh, or Anglican for darn near my entire life. And the reason being is at a very young age in my teens, as I started reading uh, the fathers of the faith, people like, such as Augustine, John Calvin, e- even as a teenager, I realized how important it was to have these creeds, to, to confess these things with our mouth. Because it's not enough to simply, in our mind, to quietly think these things, but taking it a step further and publicly declaring that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That, that is a sort of a, a confirmation of what is inside of our heart. Uh, in, 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 in the books of wisdom in the Old Testament, it tells us, from the abundance of the heart, the lips speak. And so having the Nicene Creed and having other creeds that we confess, such as the Apostles' Creed, which we didn't cover uh, in this episode, it, 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 it's the culmination of what's in our heart. And, and, and the creed is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's well to the point that if you don't believe what the creed says, it's you're sort of outside of the Christian faith. Like this is the, this is man, this is in the best that we were able to come up with. This is our summation. Some would call it the symbol of our faith, right? Um, And it's like, if somebody's saying something and you're like, it doesn't sound right, well, go back and look at this creed. And if they're saying something against it, then you kind of know like, oh yeah, that's, that's wrong. You know, you want to move away from that as quick as you can flee from it as if it were the plague. Even I would say. One of the things that always frustrated me when I'd meet someone that went to such and such church and I would either visit the church or in the age of the internet, I'd go online and look up that church. I would go to try to find out, well, what are the creeds that this particular local church adheres to? And so many churches don't 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 have any creeds or confessions that they publicize. So you don't really know what they believe. But when when the church, when the modern churches and local churches, when they just simply say, hey, we adhere to the historic Nicene Creed from the fourth century. We adhere to the Apostles Creed. We adhere to whatever confession whether it be the Heidelberg or Westminster, doesn't even matter. But it, it gives us a starting point in being able to connect with these Christians without creeds and without confession. 
kind of don't really know what people believe. It can be a mishmash. Right. It can be a mishmash of anything. Right, and that's a lot of those churches. They might have a statement like our beliefs, and then right. it lists something that the pastor sat down and wrote. Um, and they might all be true these these beliefs, um, but then it's kind of like well. When you say our, you mean your particular church, right? Well, what is it that all the churches ought to believe, right? And this is sort of, this is sort of it, right? This is um, the mark of faith, the mark of unity. Um, and yeah, so if, you, if you've never read it, I just, you know, go on Google and just Nicene Creed and, and you check it out because it is, it is something amazing. That brings us to the end of the episode. Once again, you can email us at onlythepenitent at iCloud.com. Our website, onlythepenitent.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us.